grace and mercy show bright seraphim in ceaseless flight around your glorious throne they raise their voices day and night in praise to you alone hallelujah glory be to our great god hallelujah glory be to our great god to worship at Fusion. We're so glad that you made it amidst the snow and roads and construction. Um, we're glad that you're here this morning. At this time, um, we invite you to hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 145. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures through all generations. 
The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all he does. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us. Alone in my sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope with no place to begin. Your love made a way to let mercy come in. When death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remains. My orphan heart was given a name. My morning grew quiet, my feet rose to when death was rested, my life began. Oh, your grace. Oh, your grace, so free, washes over me. You have made me new, now life begins with you. It's your I'm a prisoner no more. My shame was ransomed, you faithfully bore. He canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes Darkness rejoiced as though heaven had gone. But then Jesus arose with our freedom in hand. That's when death was arrested and my life began. Oh, your grace so free washes over.
going to start with the chorus. Um, we've sang it once before, so feel free to join when you're ready. With a thousand, with a thousand hallelujahs, we magnify your name. You alone deserve the glory, the honor, and the praise. Lord Jesus, this song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. Who else would rocks cry out to worship? glory taught the stars to shine perhaps creation longs to have the words to sing but this joy is mine with a thousand hallelujahs we magnify your name you alone deserve the glory honor and the praise Lord Jesus this song is forever yours a thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more who else would die for our redemption whose resurrection means
Jesus, this song is forever yours. A thousand hallelujahs and a thousand more. Amen. Feel free to be seated. Hey, good me, good, excuse me. Good morning, Fusion. I only talk every week. I can't get the words out. Good morning, good morning. Hey, uh, welcome. It's good to be together uh, on this uh, last Sunday in March, believe it or not. And I know for many, uh, spring break is around the corner. Uh, hopefully, spring weather is around the corner. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. So uh, glad that you were able to, as, Sarah, as Pastor Sarah mentioned, able to navigate the construction and the weather and get here. At this time, I'd like to invite the, the children to, uh, to come over to the side door. But wait, don't head downstairs quite yet. We're going to do our, our children's blessing. Uh, we're going to bless you. You're going to bless us. And, and as, I, as, as they kind of make their way over, just another reminder that we have this amazing resource came out last week, Tiny Theologians. Check that out at the entrance. Parents, we want to come along parents um, and, uh, and do that. Also, uh, you can come along and help support parents too by serving uh, downstairs with these amazing kids. They are incredible. And so if you are interested in serving in that capacity, um, no matter stage of life, we all, we, we, we need to bless these kids, um, not only with these words, but in our actions as well. All right, everyone ready? All right, children's blessing, adults on the count of three, we're going to say, the Lord be with you. Children, you're going to respond and also with you. One, two, three, the Lord be with you. All right, let's praise God for our young children and young people. Y'all have a wonderful time downstairs. And of course, just a note, if, if you are a parent and you want to send your, have your kids go down there or keep them in the service, that's all welcome. We want to come alongside in any way that we can to support our families and children. With that, uh, let's, let's go to our God in prayer and uh, we'll enter into that time of prayer by lo- listening to the words of Psalm chapter 30. I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths. You did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. To you, Lord, I called. To the Lord, I cried for mercy. What is gained if I am silenced, if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? Hear, Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my help. Lord, you turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Lord, we quiet our hearts before you this morning. We thank you for the songbook of scripture, the Psalms, this worship songbook, Lord, that is, that is filled with honest prayers of your people. 
Lord, your word gives, gives us words to speak and to pray when, even in those moments when, when we don't have the words on our own. And so we thank you for that gift. Lord, we thank you that your word assures us that you are faithful, that you are a God of covenant promises, and you are a God who is faithful to those promises. And Lord, that's true when, when life brings us into the depths and our hearts are heavy and our hearts are, are filled with, with wonder and fear because of, of the uncertainty in this world. Lord, you're, you are faithful. Lord, your word tells us that, that even there, Lord, you are present with us. That there is, there is not a place we can go to flee from your presence, but Lord, you meet us in the darkness and the light. You meet us in the depths and the heights, and Lord, we thank you for those faithful promises. And so Lord, in our hearts, we, we lay before you the concerns of our heart. Lord, we bring before you in the quiet of our own hearts, Lord, the things that are causing us concern. The uncertainty of what's happening, Lord, in our world as we continue to see war and conflict, particularly in the Ukraine, but Lord, in other parts of the world as well, and our hearts wonder, what does the future hold? Lord, we bring before you names of people, family, friends that we love, Lord, who are, who are going through a season, maybe a season of, of loss and grief and the burden that that is. We bring before you, Lord, names of those that we love who are journeying, fighting an illness. Lord, whether that illness is, is physical or maybe that illness is, is mental and emotional. Lord, we bring the names of those that we love before you. Lord, we recognize that in, in the quiet, Lord, you are there. In the stillness, you are there. And Lord, you are faithful. And Lord, as, you're, as the psalmist reminded us, Lord, you are the one who who changes wailing and tears into dancing. Lord, you are the one who, who takes the sackcloth of, of grief and mourning and, Lord, and, and replace it with clothes of, of joy. Lord, you do this because you are a God of promise. You are a God of faithfulness. And, Lord, you, you do this, we see it so clearly in the life of Jesus Christ, the resurrection, Lord, as, as we journey toward Passion Week, as we journey toward the cross, Lord, when it seemed that all had lost, when our Savior, Lord Jesus, was, was nailed to the cross and breathed his final breath, Lord, it seemed the story was over, but three days later, Lord God, death was defeated. Sin and the bondage of sin and 
and addiction and all these things, Lord, had been defeated in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we claim and hold to the hope of the resurrection because, Lord, we are those who follow and believe in Jesus Christ. So, Lord, no matter our circumstances today, and, Lord, right now we might be in the midst of the depths, Lord, there is hope in the name of Jesus. We thank you for that good news. Lord, we thank you that each week we come together as your people. And Lord, you reorient our lives in this act of worship. Lord, you fix our eyes on what is true, what is, what is good, what is of you. And so, Lord, may that continue to compel and lead us the rest of this week. So, Lord, as we turn to your word, may you continue to do that work in our lives, we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. God's people say together, amen and amen. Take a deep breath. It is good to be together. Um, just uh, a quick word. Um, construction. Everyone kind of figure out how to navigate that. Just a quick little note. If as we leave, uh, just to kind of make uh, that less congested, from what I'm told, Lakewood is open eastbound. So you can leave on Lakewood and head eastbound, but if you're going west, westbound, yeah, that, it's closed, okay? So the other way to avoid that congestion is don't leave right away, you know? Just join us. We got some donuts and coffee uh, out through these hallway, and so just enjoy a time of fellowship. Uh, leave at your leisure. Enjoy uh, this gift of, of the body of Christ because there is strength in us doing life together. So embrace those things. All right, let's jump back into our series. Uh, we're working through this, the season of Lent. This is that journey toward Passion Week, toward the cross, toward the resurrection. We've been studying the, the book of Exodus. And that's our graphic. I don't, know if, what do you, I don't know what you see in that graphic, but it looks like the, the clouds and the thunder and the fire. So it's this image that's actually uh, prominent in Exodus 19, which is our chapter. But we've been remembering the people of God's journey uh, from Egypt and being enslaved in Egypt for 400 years. Uh, they are, God uses Moses to deliver them out of the hands of Pharaoh uh, and leads them to Mount Sinai. A huge chunk of the Torah, the first five books of the, the uh, Old Testament, is at the foot of Mount Sinai. And here's our little summary, a little review quick. Uh, we started uh, week one of the series looking at Exodus chapters one and four, one through four. This is the call of, of uh, Moses, the call of Moses, the burning bush. God shares his name. I am, he is Yahweh. And, and at the top of that chart is the, the links to Jesus, the echoes in Jesus and the book of John, uh, gospel of John. Jesus uses these I am statements. The second week we, we covered chapters five through 15, a huge swath of scripture. This is uh, where the movies are made, right? This is, this is Moses leading the people out of Egypt, the 10 plagues, the Passover, uh, crossing the Red Sea. And we remember that the link to Jesus was that Passover lamb, right? Jesus, blood was shed for the salvation deliverance of, his, of God's people. And then last week we looked at chapters 16 through 18. This is the, the story of manna and quail and water in the desert, God's provision in the face of uncertainty. And we were reminded in a tangible way that, that God is our provision today. Jesus Christ is our provision. We were reminded not just by, through God's word, uh, but as we partook in the Lord's Supper, the body, the blood of Jesus, the living 
living bread, right? And now this week, we're, we're going to be f- covering another large chunk of scripture. We're going to be looking at chapters 19 all the way to 32. And this all takes place at the foot of Mount Sinai. And, and the word that kind of holds it all together is this word covenant. Covenant. Say that with me, Covenant. Now, if you're in church circles, that word's a little familiar, but outside of church, religious kind of Judeo-Christian circles, I don't think we really use covenant all that much, uh, but that is the word uh, that is going to kind of hold the, these chapters together because it's at Mount Sinai that God makes a covenant, actually builds off of a covenant with God's people, the people of a nation of Israel. That's all beautifully summed up in chapter 19 verses one through nine. And so we're gonna read that together. If you're willing and able, uh, we just invite you to stand as we honor God as he speaks to us this morning and uh, hear the word of the Lord together. Exodus 19, starting in verse one. On the first day of the third month, after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain, that is Mount Sinai. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt. And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And the people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. I invite you to join me in prayer. Lord God, we thank you once again that you're a living and active God and that these words that have been passed down for generations, Lord, these are living words. By the power of your spirit, Lord, you bring life to these words that were spoken thousands of years ago to speak life and wisdom and truth even today. And so, Spirit, we pray and we ask that you would teach us, that you would form us, Lord, that you would comfort and challenge us, Lord, all so that we would more and more begin to reflect the life and the love of Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. Amen. The year 2022 is, uh, is a significant year, um, particularly this May for Yvonne and I. Yvonne and I, on, in, on May 12, 2022, we will celebrate 15 years of marriage. 
Yeah, there you go. She's, there you go. I'm so glad that my wife was the one who cheered the loudest. So she's still cheering, yeah. So as I reflect on the last 15 years, um, one of the things that, that, I, that I, is very clear to me is back in 2007, those two young 24-year-olds, right, on our wedding day when we said I do, like we had no idea what we were getting into, right? Uh, on, our, on our wedding day, you know, we're just, we're, just, we're just in the clouds, you know, just in love and just this is amazing. And uh, there's some pictures of our life together, a little snapshot uh, from when we were dating uh, back in, I don't know what year, 05 or 06. And uh, just look at that joy, just so happy. And then, and then engagement, we got engaged right, right here at Tunnel Park. Uh, I shared a little bit about that. Yvonne's first trip to Michigan, uh, we met each other in Southern California. She's from Southern California, but her first trip to Michigan was that night I asked her to marry me at Tunnel Park. And she just was filled with smiles and tears and said, yes, you know, just <laughs> seduced by my charm and good looks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go. Just like this is amazing, you know. And then, and then, and then, of course, like 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 others who have who've gotten engaged, you know, we we sought out a counselor, a licensed counselor, and and did premarital counseling. And in in premarital counseling, like this this poor counselor is tasked with trying to convince you that that there's challenges in marriage, you know. And and he's like, have you thought about conflict? It's like conflict. We're in love, you know. You know, have you, have you thought about how you're going to manage finances? Like, oh, it's all going to just take care of itself, you know. You're just, you're in this premarital counseling and all these things they're trying to tell you are just kind of, oh, we're in, you know, it's wonderful. And then we get to the wedding day and, and all that bliss just continues. And, you know, we're, we're just like, oh, this is amazing. And it was like, okay, I was, okay, I'm going to share something. Okay, yeah. On our wedding day, like, Yvonne was very, like the PDA thing was like, we don't do that. And all of a sudden, like a flip, a switch flipped and she was like kissing me in public. It's like, okay, here we go. Okay, I'm gonna get in trouble for that one. Okay, I'm gonna buy some chocolates for Yvonne or something. Oh man, I'm just sweating up here. So anyway, you get to the wedding day and you say, I do, and you make these, these promises for a lifetime. And then what happens? Marriage. And then you get that. Right? So then all of a sudden you're married and all these things that you thought are different. Do you know, do you know who we're dressed up like? Anyone say it out loud? Dwight. Yeah, Dwight and Angela. Thank you. That was a Halloween party. That's my best look. That's, that's, it doesn't get any better. Okay. But, but you know, all of a sudden you get married and you start, you live together. You begin, we begin living together and all of a sudden all those things that you had no idea, like just the minor things, like, like Yvonne discovered that Rarely will my laundry make it in the laundry basket, right? She, she discovered that I leave cabinets open all the time because in my mind, that's just more efficient, right? You leave the cabinet open. I'm going to come back eventually. Let's be honest, not to put anything away. I won't put anything away, but I'll take something out, right? So you learn some of these things. Uh, in all fairness, I, I, did, I did learn the toilet seat thing. So thank you. I do shut the toilet seat. But those are just the minor things, Right? Those are just the minor little things. Those aren't even the things that are far more consequential. Like, like how do you manage finances? And how do you work through spending money? How, you know, how do you, uh, you know, how do you, how do you raise kids? 
And there's just all these challenges. And, and we kind of say that, we kind of speak of this kind of in fun. Um, and not to anyone, if anyone's engaged, like, don't, it's good. Just, yeah, just, it's good, guys. Um, but all that's to say is, is making the promises are easier than keeping the promises. Can I get an amen? It's much easier to make the promises than to live out and keep those promises. And, and when we turn our attention to Exodus uh, 19, right, we, we're going to talk about covenant. And really, marriage is the only place that we still use this word covenant, at least in human interactions and relationships. And what we see with the covenant God makes with his people is that same thing is true, that, that making the promises are a lot easier than keeping the promises. And we're going to see that play out in the next chapters that we're going to cover. Again, we're going to cover chapters 19 through 32 uh, this morning, so a lot to cover. But before we get into that, let's talk about this big idea of biblical covenants. Biblical covenants. The, it is, and, and by the way, leaning heavily into a, a link that I, I think I just posted it on Facebook, but Bible Project uh, put out this beautiful video, on a theme video on covenant and also a study guide. So leaning heavily into that, I like to want to make sure we give credit to where I get a lot of the things that are going to be on here. But the, the definition of biblical covenant here is uh, from Bible Project, a formal relationship between two parties who agree to a set of promises so that they can work together toward a common goal. The Hebrew word for covenant is berit. You say that with me? Berit, you know, you gotta kind of roll that R. Berit. Uh, I found out actually Barrett is, anyway, my name is Jay Barrett. Anyway, anyway, that's uh, a different thing. But covenants, okay, so biblical covenants, even in the Bible, covenants can be made between people, marriage being one example, but you also have a, a couple different examples in the scriptures themselves where two people make a covenant agreement. Um, but it is, a, it is, so it's kind of like a contract, kind of like an agreement, uh, really like a partnership. But what we, what we see often, uh, there's four primary covenants in the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. And uh, so here's kind of some graphics from Bible Project. I think that one's helpful. A covenant is, is God makes promises uh, to his people covenants between God and his people. And we don't really make promises to God, but we make commitments as part of that covenant, right? So God makes promises. I think commitment is a good word. And, and it's all for a greater purpose that God has in this world. Now there's four primary covenants in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. The first is uh, between God and Noah. And you'll notice there's only one hand in that one. And why is that? Because, and the reason is because God doesn't ask anything of Noah, right? Uh, God delivers Noah and then the rainbow comes. That's when this promise is made. God just makes this blanket promise to Noah and the world that, that, that the world that we live in, this creation is gonna be stable, relatively speaking. And never again will the whole creation fall apart and the whole world be destroyed. That is a promise that has, that has no other side. It's just a promise of God. Fast forward to Genesis 12, we get to the promise between God and Abraham. And with Abraham, God establishes this covenant. Now let's talk about those different pieces. God's promise to Abraham is that God will make Abraham into a great nation, right? That Abraham will have many, many children, many descendants, and he'll establish him in a land. And then Abraham has a commitment of faith, right? 
to, to live in faith, trusting his promises and keeping that covenant. And the greater purpose, particularly in Genesis 12, is, is so that the nations will be blessed. This is where we get that statement, blessed to be a blessing. And so God's purpose is, this covenant is in order to bless Abraham and his descendants in order that all the nations will be blessed. Hang on to that because the other covenants really build off of this covenant with Abraham. Now, we're gonna talk a little bit about this. If you, talk, if you fast just a couple chapters later, Genesis 15, there's this really interesting exchange where um, the, the covenant of circumcision is given and in this covenant, uh, God restates this covenant with Abraham and commands Abraham to do something really foreign to us. Uh, asks Abraham to cut these animals in half. This is, very, this is very different for us. But this is an ancient practice. And so he cuts these animals in half, lays them on the side, and then what happens is Abraham uh, gets put to sleep. Like God puts him in, uh, uh, to sleep, and then this smoking pot of incense goes and travels between the pieces of these cut-in-half animals. Now, is that weird? For us, that's really weird. But there's an ancient practice. We're going to get back to that and explain a little bit about what that means to show God's consistency throughout the scriptures. But fast forward now, jumping ahead, uh, we get to the the third covenant. This is a covenant with Israel. And this begins right here uh, in in Exodus chapter 19. God establishes a covenant uh, with God's people, Israel, the descendants of Abraham. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel, right? So these are the descendants of Abraham. 400 years, they become a nation in Egypt. And now God establishes and continues this covenant through the people of Israel. uh, And it builds off the covenant made to Abraham. So let's talk about the covenant with Israel. Let's turn our attention to Exodus 19. It's a lot of teaching here, okay? So just bear with me. Just journey with me. It's going to be fun. But a covenant with Israel on Mount Sinai. The people of Israel, or the descendants of Jacob, descendants of Abraham, are at the foot of Mount Sinai. They've, they've left the Red Sea. They've traveled through the wilderness. Now they're at the foot of Mount Sinai. And this is what the Lord says to, a, to Moses to say to the people of Israel. Verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now... If you fully obey, obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. There's a lot of words there, but come with me and, and, and let's explore those three kind of aspects, elements of biblical covenant. God is making promises in this statement. The people, are, there's a commitment for the people and then there's a reminder of the greater purposes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just identify those real quick. So let's go to the next slide. Let's look at those elements uh, in Exodus 19. Beginning with God's promises or God's part, uh, the first part is God's first promise has already been fulfilled at this point, right? He rescued Israel out of Egypt. Now that's significant. Hold on to that too, that the the exodus, the deliverance, salvation, if you will, from Egypt happens first before the law. 
Now that's significant, right? And we're gonna, get, we're gonna come back to that. But they're rescued from Egypt. And then to, the, the, God's part is to make his people a chosen people, a holy nation, and then to establish them in the land of promise. So here's some of the language of treasured possession, holy nation. This is God's part. This is God's promise in the covenant to establish them in the land of their father, Abraham. But then there's Israel's part, and we see this really in verse 5, kind of with this if statement, if then statement. The people are given commitments, right? The people are told their commitment to obey God fully is the NIV's translation. Uh, but the Hebrew there literally means listen to God's voice. So obey God fully, listen to his voice, and keep the covenant. Basically, what is, what is the people's part in this covenant is obey the law. Obey the law. Obey the law fully. That is what you are called to do. That's what Israel was called to do, to keep the covenant, obey the law. And then what happens is in Exodus 20, verse 23, Exodus 20 famously is the 10 commandments, right? And so God then goes on to explain what the law is. And we're gonna kind of talk a little bit about that. But Exodus 20 through 23 is the 10 commandments and then 52 more laws covering worship and social justice, establishing a nation. How do we live as a nation set apart among the other nations? This is the people's part, their commitment. And then finally, for the greater goal of establishing, and here the key is kingdom of priests. Kingdom of priests. Uh, that language, a priest is, is uh, the intercessor, the go-between, God, right? And so Israel as a nation would be, would fill the role of priest to the nations to show, to demonstrate to the other nations what God is like. In this way, the, 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 the people of God would be the Lord's representatives, ambassadors, inter intercessors for the greater purpose of blessing the nations, Right? And so the, the, the God makes promises, the people have these commitments, and when, when the people of God live into those commitments and live according to the law, they begin to look vastly different than the other nations around them. And as they look different, as they look different, then they, they become this blessing to the nations. I was listening to, to this podcast, and, and we look at these laws, and we're like, we don't get them. Like, what is going on? And oftentimes we're looking through the Old Testament law through a modern lens, and so some of those laws are like, this seems so like archaic and barbaric. Uh, but if you actually compare the laws of the people of God in Israel in the Old Testament to other laws, comparable societies like Hammurabi's code, like the Babylonians or whatever, like you would want to live in Israel. Particularly if you are a widow or an orphan or someone from a foreign country, you would want to be in Israel, trust me there's something different going on in the people of God. So all this is really beautiful, right? Okay, you following me? You with me still? So there's this covenant between God and Israel. And Exodus 19 really summarizes this, this covenant moment. And then the, the covenant is brought before the people. Did you notice that? Here in verse seven, while Moses went back and summoned the elders, the people set before them the words the Lord had commanded them to speak. And then verse eight, what happens? He says, this is the covenant. What do you think? People go, yes, yes, we will do that. Verse eight, we, we read, we will do everything the Lord has said. Now here's what I wanna do, something a little kind of fun, a little unique, so bear with me. Uh, but what I, what I wanna do is we kinda go through the next like 12 chapters of Exodus is kind of frame it in, in the illustration we, where we began. 
uh, a marriage kind of illustration and engagement. And, and what we see is, is kind of these different elements that might kind of help us understand a little bit about what's going on here. And I understand all illustrations fall apart at some point, so bear with me. It's not perfect. But as I was just reading this, uh, verse 8, you know, here, do you want to be my people? Listen to my word? Follow? And they all say yes. To me, that was kind of like the engagement, right? You don't really know what you're getting into, but the promise sounds good. And, and so the people are like, oh, yeah, okay, just do what the Lord says, keep his covenant, and all these promises will be ours. Like, yes, we are here for that. It's kind of like this engagement, right? They say yes. But then the narrative continues, and we get to, okay, well, God's like, well, let me tell you exactly what, what you're agreeing to, right? And so he goes, uh, we read the law and we get the Ten Commandments and the people hear the Ten Commandments. And, and, and before that even, in Exodus 19, we have this scene where, where God appears on a mountain, on the, the mountain, on Mount Sinai. And it's this intimidating uh, force, this cloud that descends and the cloud is filled with smoke and fire and thunder and lightning. And there's trumpets blasting and there's a boundary line around, around the mountain. And, and he's like, you can't can't go, you know, you can't get too close because the glory of God is too much. And basically, God is saying, okay, you agree to this, but let me tell you, I am God. I am a holy God. And the relationship between God and there's some uniqueness about that. So you need to understand the holiness and the gravity of this in chapter 19. And then the law, this is what it means to follow my laws. Here, let me tell you the laws, the Ten Commandments, these 52 other commands uh, on worship and social justice. This is how you are to live as a people. And in many ways, this is kind of like the premarital counseling, right? Like this is what this covenant is going to look like. And how do they respond? Moses comes down, chapter 24, and he says, this is the word. What do they say? Yes! Everything the Lord has said we will do, chapter 24, verse 3. And then, and then, and then they begin this ceremony, and, and Moses starts making a sacrifice on an altar, and then once again presents these words to the people. Verse 7, we will do everything the Lord has said we will obey. In some ways, this is kind of like the wedding, right? We, 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 I do. I want, I want to be in this covenant, right? And so then there's this ceremony. This is where the illustration breaks down. But there's this, there's this, there's an altar and there's blood that's placed on the altar and then the people are sprinkled with blood. Illustration breaks down. No one did that at your wedding, right? But again, blood in the ancient world, there's some significance of sealing this covenant connected to Genesis 15, Okay. And they say, I do. But then the narrative continues. You get to chapters 25 through 31. And, and, and I think this helps. Like all of a sudden, then the Lord, you know, Moses goes back up on the mountain and, and the Lord begins to give him all these instructions about the tabernacle. All these details about how many cubits tall and wide and how many curtains and all these things. And, and we're like, what is going on? Well, now after the wedding, what do you do? You move in together. Right? And so, so here God is, is giving instruction to Moses and this is what it looks like for me to move in with my people. There's this holiness factor. It's gonna look a little different. And so this is the tabernacle. This is the, the tent of meeting, right? This is, this is where God is gonna dwell and there's instruction about the tabernacle where God's presence will dwell among the people. There's, there's you know, instructions about how the priests are to dress and, and, and all these different things. Worship and God dwelling with his people. Do you know how long Moses is away? 40 days, 40 nights, so a little over a month. 
And while, while Moses is up there getting this instruction for, for God's house, God's dwelling place with the people, they're going to they're gonna live together. In some ways, it's still the honeymoon. All of a sudden, Moses hears that something else is happening at the bottom of the mountain. A month into this covenantal relationship, a month into this partnership, Moses comes down the mountain and what he finds is Israel is being absolutely unfaithful to the covenant. They've broken the covenant. Chapter 32, get the fairly well-known story of the golden calf. Moses, up on the mountain, receiving plans for the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God among the people. He's up there for 40 days, 40 days after the people had just said, yes, we will do everything the Lord has said. Yes, we agree to this. And the people have already broken the covenant in disastrous fashion. What are they doing? When they, when they, when they build a golden calf, they are breaking the very first two commandments that God had given them as part of this covenant. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. No, they broke that one. Commandment number two, you shall not create for yourself any graven images, idols, right? They broke that one too. The first two commands. And not only that, but Aaron is in on it. Aaron's the one leading this charge and says, yeah, give me the gold. And they fashion this calf. And this is what Aaron says regarding this golden calf idol. He says this, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. What? Really? Friends, this is a shocking development in the flow of the narrative. It's abrupt. It's shocking. It's offensive. I mean, it would, it would be like a husband or a wife breaking their marital covenant on their honeymoon in the worst fashion. And so God responds to this moment appropriately with anger. And then Moses steps in the gap. And we're going to talk a little more about that next week. But here's, here's what I want us to get, is that the people of God utterly failed to hold, uphold their commitment in this partnership. Utterly failed. Totally failed. And it's not, and it's not like this is a one-time thing. In fact, the pattern of the people of God, and, and it's not just Israel. If, again, take the scriptures as a mirror. <laughs> Failure over and over and over again. God asks us to make commitments and we just, we just fail over and over and over again. The people of Israel sure had good moments, but the, the consistent swing of their story is they would regularly be unfaithful. They would fail to trust God. They would turn to pagan gods, worship those gods in, in horrific ways, live unjustly and lead unjustly over and over and over again. This was a consistent pattern for the people of God. Now God had this incredible plan. You know, the Garden of Eden, thing, things were made perfect and good. Sin enters the picture and things are corrupt and God has this plan to use this, this family, these descendants of Abraham to, to be a blessing to the nations. And as that family grew into Israel, a nation, like God says, we're gonna, um, this is my people and they're gonna live differently in the world and I'm gonna use these people to bless the nations that are mine, as he says here. But over and over, they failed in their commitments. But then there's a fourth covenant. There's a fourth covenant in the Old Testament. It's a covenant with David. 
And God makes this promise with King David and says, there's gonna be someone in your line who will come, an anointed one. That word is translated as Messiah. And that one will come and will fulfill these promises and establish this nation and bless the nations of this world. And we know, because we have the advantage and perspective of 2,000 years of, of history, who that Messiah is. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And in Jesus Christ, there is a new covenant that's established. And this is language that gets picked up in the New Testament very intentionally. This is the good news. That Jesus Christ has fulfilled the covenant. The Gospels of Jesus were told that Jesus comes from the family of Abraham, so fulfills that covenant. Jesus came from the line of David, right? So we see that connection point. Remember our Advent series, the genealogy of hope? And in the book of Matthew in particular, there's, Matthew is portraying Jesus as the new Moses. If, if you read the, the book of Matthew, there's all of these parallels between Jesus' life and the life of Moses, uh, right? Having uh, Herod killing two-year-old boys, right? Uh, we see that parallel. Uh, we, we, we see Jesus going to a mountain, to speak law, the Sermon on the Mount, where he says often, you have heard it said, but I tell you, he's giving us the way to live. Jesus is the new Moses. And fulfilling these covenants in all the ways, Jesus fulfills these covenants and these promises in all the ways that the people of God could not throughout history. Perfectly following the law, working to declare and usher in the kingdom of God, bringing a kingdom reign. And through Jesus, because Jesus fulfilled these promises, it's through Jesus that we are invited into these same promises as his beloved. And friends, not only did Jesus fulfill the covenant where Israel and, and us all who have followed have failed, but Jesus also covered the cost of the failure to uphold their end of the bargain. Genesis 15, Abraham cuts these animals, a, a calf and a goat in half, and there's this tr trail, this pathway of blood. Again, this is really gruesome for us. It's hard for us to understand, but in the ancient world, this is what was known as cutting a covenant. And the idea is, and it's not, that you, you find this evidence of this in, in other cultures as well, is you would cut these animals in half and what would happen is the two parties making the covenant together would walk between those animals. And as they did, they were promising, if I break this covenant, may my life be like those animals. The penalty for me breaking the covenant is that my life would be like one of them. Dead. So when Abraham, God puts Abraham to sleep and Abraham does not walk that path. Instead, this lantern, this smoking lantern walks, it doesn't really walk, lanterns don't walk, but travels between the cut pieces. What symbolizes the presence of God throughout the Old Testament? Smoke, fire. God walks that path alone. Because God knew that only he could bear the weight of those consequences. And what happens in Jesus Christ? Jesus dies on the cross. His blood is shed. He takes on the punishment for the sin of the world. This is the gospel of grace. 
that Jesus Christ did what none of us could do. And in Jesus Christ, we have a new understanding of the law. We have a new understanding of worship. It's in the grace of the gospel that frames how we see and understand the law and worship, the two things that were covered in these 12, 13 chapters in Exodus. And here's the difference. The gospel reminds us that salvation is the finished work of Jesus, right? The exodus, salvation comes before the law. Jesus, in Jesus Christ, we are, we, are, we are saved by grace alone. And it changes how we understand and see the law. On the, on the right there is an illustration, right? The gospel of grace makes the gift of the law a gift and worship formative as opposed to that illustration on the right. When, when, when we, don't, we, don't, we don't have the gospel, we don't have grace, we think that it is through the law and it is through worship. It's through the law that we, get in God, we earn God's favor. It is through our worship that we make God uh, favorable in his eyes. That's not the gospel. That's not how the law works. Instead, the, the, the illustration on the left is how it works. Is that in the gospel of grace, we are, we are God's children. And so God gives us the law to show us how to live into his good purposes. The law is a, is a gift. That's, that's different. The law is a gift because God's saying, like, just like a loving parent, right? A loving parent says, has rules and boundaries in place. Why? Because the parent knows what's best for the child. I've used this before. Like We tell our kids, stay away from the road. Why? Because it's dangerous there. Boundaries are good. And God gives these boundaries for, for his people to walk in a way that brings life and flourishing. And worship then, it's not about because God God is an egomaniac and he needs us to flatter him. No, worship is in our council meeting. It reorients us, right? Worship becomes this way to, to remind us what is true, what is good, and in that way shows us a posture of humility and how do we follow God. These are gifts of God when they're framed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Following our Lord, just like following parents, we, we trust that our, that our God is loving and so we trust his words and we trust God's goodness. We don't, we don't follow, we don't obey out of fear of his punishment because if the only thing motivating us, we think that we follow the law is to avoid fear and to avoid punishment, then how do we obey the law? You just do the bare minimum. Like I just gotta do, but, the, but Jesus reframes it. You've heard it said, but I tell you, no, this is where life is found. This is where life is found. And in this, there is, a, there is a new covenant in Jesus Christ. And then language in the New Testament, right, that gets borrowed that we are the, the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. But what, where I want to just end is, is um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter uses the very same language as Exodus 19. And let me just read that but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Same language from Exodus 19. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into this wonderful light. Once 
You were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, Peter writes, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul, right? The law gives life. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Friends, this is the role of priests that God calls his people to live differently than the world around us. And in our lives, we live differently out of radical love, emulating the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. And as we live that way, a way that's different, we become a testimony of the good news of Jesus Christ. A lot of teaching, a lot of covering different things, but here's the thing that I think would be good for us to leave with. How is God calling us to live differently than the world around us? How is God's good law, word that teaches us how to live? Jesus summarizes the law by saying, love God, love your neighbor. How do we live into that in such a way that we begin, that our lives begin to testify to the grace and goodness of God made known in Jesus Christ? May we ponder that. May we be challenged by that. And may we live as a royal priesthood. Will you join me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we covered a lot of your word. Lord, I just pray and I ask that, um, Holy Spirit, that you would bring to our hearts that word that you would have for us this week. Lord, as we think and ponder, what does it mean to be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, as the church of Jesus Christ? What, is it, what does it mean to be your ambassadors and representatives here on this world? Lord, there's so many things pulling on our hearts in different directions. Lord, may your word be the thing that forms us. May this thing that we do on Sunday mornings be the thing that that forms us and calibrates our hearts so that, God, we would live in such a way that your name would be glorified, that your name would be praised. Not because it earns salvation. Lord, salvation has been given as a gift, but, Lord, as a response to the salvation we've received in Jesus Christ, may we live in such a way that brings life to us and life to those around us. May we be a light, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I invite you to stand and worship with us. Who else commands all the hosts of heaven? Who else can make every king can whisper and darkness trembles only a holy God what other beauty demands such praises what other splendor outshines the sun what other majesty rules with justice 
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>